Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. Police found 27 corpses. Australia's worst serial killer. You know, I didn't want to get in the car. I With Amanda Howard and Robert McKnight. Hello there and welcome to Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. Whether you're listening to us on the audio podcast or watching the new video podcast, which you can get at mwm.uscreen.io. That's mwm.uscreen.io. And we've had a great response to the video cast, so thank you for all the support you've shown us. In the meantime, you know her as the serial killer whisperer, but did you know she's also a criminologist? It's the one and only Amanda Howard. Hello, Amanda. Hello, Robert. Thank you for including my credentials. Yes. Well, you are the serial killer whisperer, but we tend to forget the fact that you are a criminologist as well, and we don't make a big enough deal about that, I don't think. <laughs> well, there seems to be so many people that do true crime podcasts, and really they don't sort of have the credentials to back it up, so I think that that's something extra that we can bring to the podcast. So mm. I'm glad that all these years of um, debt building and essays does help. <laughs> well, what I love is you are a criminologist you are the serial killer whisperer you are an expert and then there's me (laughs) who keeps me sane and keeps me under control (laughs) (laughs) that's probably the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me hey uh we've got a big psychological profile give us a quick headline on who we're discussing today So we're doing Arthur Shaw Cross today and this is an amazing uh, case because he is a serial killer that I knew for quite a few years. So um, I bring to this this episode a whole lot of stuff that other people have no idea about. So it's going to be fun. And once again, to plug the video cast, what is great about this episode is there's quite a few interviews with him that we're using, but Amanda will also be showing some of her personal correspondence with Shawcross. So, Amanda, we're looking forward to that. (laughs) So am I. (laughs) (laughs) All right. In the meantime, it's a big week of news. Let's take a look at the headlines happening in the world of true crime. And we begin with a story we've been following this season, the mystery surrounding a man whose body was found on Adelaide's Summerton Beach more than 70 years ago. This week, excavation started on the gravesite of the unknown man to exhume his body to extract DNA in hopes of finally solving the riddle of his identity. Nine News has more. For over 70 years, the body of the Somerton man has laid unidentified and undisturbed in a West Terrace grave. But today, he and his secrets are brought to the surface. 
Major crime detectives with special permission to exhume the remains, the gong, to extract his DNA. It's a little bit different to the normal work we do in that there's a lot more mystery and probably public interest in this. The topsoil removed, the forensic experts moved in, meticulously combing through the soil until they reached their target. The summer demands not just a curiosity um, or a mystery to be solved, it's somebody's father, son, perhaps grandfather, uncle, brother, um, and that's why we're doing this. That identity has eluded senior detectives for decades. The man's body was found on the Somerton foreshore in 1948. He was fully dressed and there was no clear cause of death. A suitcase, a page from a book, the traces of what seemed to be code and the phone number for a woman who denies knowing him, the only evidence ever found. There was all those earlier talk about whether he was a Russian spy, um, whether he was involved in the black market, um, whether he was a sailor. Amateur detectives across the world joining the case too. It's been of academic interest, it's been studied, it's been investigated uh, and we hope with this uh, opportunity uh, there will be some resolution. Amanda, it really is as though this guy wants to keep his identity a secret. They're even having trouble getting through the clay of his gravesite. Um, I, I was watching the live feed today during other meetings as I'm usually the only one who does that. Um, and it was interesting that they kept sort of stopping and they're going through it and they're looking in, in the in the grave and they're looking over to, to their tents and they're looking in again. And it's like there is just so much sort of detail to go through after 70 years and they really need to make sure that they take the DNA from the right uh, bones. So, um, I mean, this might be him telling us that we are not meant to know. So, um, hmm. but, but I'm a little bit excited. So, <laughs> <laughs> I know you are. I know you are. Uh, we will keep across this story and follow the developments in future editions of Monsters Who Murder. But it is quite fascinating. All right, moving on. And notorious UK killer Rose West could face police questioning over the death of a 15 year old girl thought to have been murdered by her husband, Fred. An excavation is taking place at a Gloucester Cafe in an effort to solve the 1968 case of Mary Bathsom. West is reported to have admitted to his son Stephen that he killed her, but never conceded any guilt in police interviews. Although the death took place before Rose West met her killer husband, police hope he might have discussed the murder with her, but the daughter of Rose West believes if she does know anything about the murder, she's most likely to take that secret to the grave. Amanda, why are they locking in on this location? Well, there's a few reasons. One was that Mary um, was often seen there and so was Fred. But whilst they've been doing a couple of renovations, they've found some blue material and Mary was actually wearing a blue coat when she disappeared. So they're sort of thinking, you know, we're in the right time, right right um, place. This could be the moment that we actually get to um, unveil one of the long cold cases from England. So um, I think a lot of people in Gloucester are watching this case quite closely but um, when it comes to Rose West uh, she keeps it tight so I'm not quite sure that they will get even a word out of her. And, it, and it's not necessarily a thing that Fred told her anything. 
Well, yeah, I mean, she was 14 or, or something at this time, and they actually weren't even together. So mm. um, I think they their killing spree would have been like a forward-thinking thing, not, oh, and by the way, there was a girl in, in a cafe. But she's always been linked to this case and always been assumed to be a victim. But uh, she's one of the ones that they've never been able to find any um, evidence of. So mm. this blue piece of material that, that they found is the closest thing that they've got so far. Of course, it has to be confirmed. But um, I think we're a step closer again to another cold case. Well, look, it's certainly a week for exhuming bodies. We literally just talked about an Australian case. Why is it so important to solve these cases all these years later? This is a case from 1968. I mean, I was going through a lot of the comments on the Summerton case today and people go, you know, oh, all those resources, why are they bothering? And a lot of people were saying, but how about that man's family? You know, there, there could be a cold case somewhere in, in the world that might sort of link up to with this body and they can sort of give him a name. I mean, to imagine that the Summerton man has a name that could make all these other pieces like the Tamam Chad and the, the codes in the back of the book, it could make it all sort of um, become exposed and, and we actually can then sort of look back and see what we missed all these years looking at cases like this. So the fact that, you know, it was 1968, she still has family. There are still people out there, even if her, her parents have, have likely passed, maybe not, but they you know, that they still deserve the answers. And I think we should never just sort of say, oh, it's too old to look into. We always should be looking to see how we can solve every single one of these cases. Okay, very interesting. Now, we talked about police talking to Rose, that that's a possibility. Will they try and talk to her son, Stephen? He's an adult now. Do they have the right to talk to him? Um, a, a lot of the West children have actually been interviewed over the years um, about various cases, about anything they might have been told. I mean, we have to remember that the West case actually um, was exposed because the, the children were being told that if you don't stop misbehaving, you'll be buried in the patio like Heather is. So, you know, that, that was mm. a common threat. And then sort of um, one police officer put that together with the fact that Heather had disappeared. And that's how, how the case finally broke. So... Um, there might be just something that one of the children, as you said, they are all grown adults these days, um, might say, oh, yeah, but hang on a sec. He did say something about a cafe because if we haven't had this link to the cafe before, that might be something now that one of the kids go, oh, you know, Dad said such and such about a cafe. So it could be now that we have another piece to the puzzle that some of the children might be able to link that to something else that's been said. Well, moving on now, and DNA evidence has once again helped catch an alleged serial killer, this time in Oklahoma in the US. As News 4 reports, William Reese is accused of raping and killing 19-year-old Tiffany Johnson on July 26, 1997. William Reese is on trial for Tiffany's murder, and she's not the only person he's accused of killing. News 4's Caitlin Ogle joining us live from the courthouse. Katie? Well, right now, the jury actually just left the courtroom, and you can see some people are leaving just as I speak. But William Reese is on trial for the 1997 murder of Tiffany Johnston. The 19-year-old's car was found abandoned at a Bethany car wash. Tiffany's body was later found a day later in a Canadian County field. The medical examiner saying she had been raped and strangled. The case went cold until 2015 when DNA 
DNA linked Reese to the murder. At the time, he was already locked up in Texas for raping and kidnapping another teen. That's when investigators say he told them he could lead them to the bodies of his other victims. In court today, witnesses took the stand painting a picture of Reese before the alleged murders. Prosecutors read testimony from a sexual assault survivor in 1986 out of Norman. Another victim saying she woke up one night to Reese on top of her but was able to escape. Okay, Amanda, tell me about this guy. Well, this alleged serial killer, William Reese, um, he actually has a couple of other victims that we know about besides Tiffany. So what has happened is that um, DNA in 2015 actually led to him as a suspect. And he then led police to uh, two more grave sites of some of his victims. So he um, was active in the 80s and 90s. He has been charged with multiple um, sexual assaults and is actually currently serving a 60-year sentence for an attempted murder of another other victims. So uh, he's a suspect also in what has been called the Texas Killing Fields case. So there's a lot of victims there and they believe that a lot of different killers might be linked to these cases. But um, it's interesting that we finally get to see him go to trial and there are three more pending trials after this one. So I think okay. it's a case that we've got more to follow on. So we've got a few cases we're following up. Next week's uh, <laughs> new section might just be a repeat of these cases. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be a thing? Hey, uh, I've got to talk to you because the reaction to our video podcast has been extraordinary, Amanda. They love seeing us together. They love seeing the way we present these cases now and being able to see the body language that you love so much of these killers and their confessions. And we're really working hard to, to pick good videos to go with them. Um, but seriously, the reaction's been fantastic, hasn't it? It has, and it's amazing because um, so many, many people say, oh, I just watched a crime doco and I would really love to know what you think of the body language. So being able to bring this visually to people, I mean, the podcast, the, the audio is amazing, but actually sort of looking at the ticks and the turns and the twists that we can actually see. So I can sort of point to it and say, guys, red flag right there. You know, I think that that is so much more um, immersive than it is as just an audio podcast. Yeah, I couldn't agree more and we love the audio podcast we will still continue to service the podcast but if you want to see us in the video you can go to mwm.uscreen.io that's mwm.uscreen.io none of us know what the io stands for but uh we're going with it aren't we amanda <laughs> we certainly are. You know, it's like E-I-E-I-O or something. <laughs> I'm sure it means something very technical. Um, and don't forget, you can still take part in our Patreon groups. We're doing a video uh, chat this weekend with our $20 plus uh, patrons. And you can get the video feed as part of the $25 tier. But there are other tiers as well to suit every budget. And we appreciate everyone who has helped support the Patreon page it it helps keep this podcast and video cast now going and it means the world to us and you can go to patreon.com slash mwm confessions we really do appreciate the support don't we amanda 
We certainly do, and it's just been our third birthday, so we should probably sort of mention that as well. Oh, um, yes. Just, yes, and we've just hit 4,000 uh, people in our open um, public Facebook group as well. So uh, that's a lot of people to talk to, but I try and entertain you all as much as I can. So <laughs> and, and the podcast must be getting close to 4 million downloads now. I haven't checked in a wow. long time, to be honest, but... You know, even the fact we've surpassed 3 million downloads is something and we're heading towards 4,000, just amazing and shows people really appreciate what you do. Yeah, it's um, that... It's terrifying at the same time that four million listens have sort of um, listened to my voice and what <laughs> I was doing by myself in my bedroom before is now something that everyone else gets to enjoy. I maybe shouldn't have said that, but anyway. <laughs> no, but you know what? If you know someone who's a true crime fan, Tell them about Monsters Who Murder. We are not the usual podcast. We don't sit here in doom and gloom go... We actually weirdly have a laugh while we're talking true crime. And this isn't a podcast for everyone who say we should keep it serious. But, you know, in amongst the terrible stuff we're talking about, I think it is important for us to try and have a laugh in there because otherwise it's it's very full on. You guys seem to like the way we have our interaction with each other and we won't be changing a thing. So there you go to the haters. <laughs> um, Alright. Our psychological profile on Arthur Shawcross is coming up. This is Monsters Who Murder Serial Killer Confessions. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. Police found 27 corpses. Australia's worst serial killer. You know, I didn't want to get in the car. I actually... With Amanda Howard and Robert McKnight. Well, known as the Genesee River Killer, Arthur Shawcross was a child killer, a serial killer, a rapist and a cannibal. His first kills were two children, a boy and a girl. On May 7, 1972, Shawcross lured his first victim, 10-year-old Jack Blake, to a secluded area in Woodlands in Watertown, where he then proceeded to brutally rape and murder the young boy. Four months later, on September 2, Shawcross killed again. This time, the victim was 8-year-old Karen Hill. She was raped and murdered. Her body was soon found and Shawcross was arrested. He pleaded guilty to a lesser charge of two counts of first-degree manslaughter and was sentenced to 25 years. After only serving 14 years, Shawcross was released in April 1987 and it would only be a year before he began to kill again. Between March 1988 and December 1989, Shawcross murdered at least 12 young women before a witness saw him at the scene of the last victim and he was reported to police. Now, before we begin, Shawcross will go into detail about the murders, so please be warned. Amanda, can you take us through the scene setup? 
Yeah, so um, this is a TV documentary setup, so it's a bit different to what we usually see. And um, Shawcross is seated against a black background, but um, we need to know that actually by the time of this interview, Shawcross had actually had a stroke, and so there's going to be um, different visual ticks and and and. Uh, micro expressions that we actually have to ignore because it is part of uh, the neurological distance right. of his stroke. But it's interesting that he's actually wearing a pure white clothing for this. But when we see him arrive, he's in green scrubs. Ah. So, Robert, I've got to ask you this. As a producer and from your point of view... Is there a significance to the black background with the stark white clothes? Is is this done for dramatic effect for TV? Yeah, of course. And they had to take what we call the blacks, the, the black curtains, into the prison to do this interview. And there is a shot I've seen where you can see the setup and you can see that they've specially put scaffolding in all poles to have the blacks up. So that is a stylistic choice. They've obviously chosen his wardrobe as well. And when we look at other interviews that you will show, today, you can see that they have stylized the way they want to do it. So sometimes we've seen in previous interviews we've seen on this podcast where it literally is just what they can get at the jail and nothing has been given by prison authorities yeah. into styling the interview. This prison where Shawcross was housed, each time he's had an interview, they have allowed the producers to stylise the interview, whether it's with lighting and coloured lights on the walls, which we will see in an interview. But this one, they've had the time to be given a room, set up the cameras and the lights to create a mood. And that's exactly what they've done. Yeah, it's just amazing just because the stark white clothing is so um, obvious and and it, it just sort of gives a heightened drama. But then when I went back, I thought, hang on a sec, we see him walking in. I'm sure he's not wearing white scrubs. <laughs> so it, it was sort of like, hang on a sec, well, I'll just go back a bit there. So, yeah, it's interesting how I think um, they like to play things up. People know that I'm not great at watching crime docos because I think there's a lot of manufacturing. So... Mm. Um, Oh, there's there tropes, you, there's you know, the blue or red tropes. lighting, and hey, we've got blood, so maybe we're as guilty as everyone. Look at this, we've got red as our background, we've got blood <laughs> behind us, you know, so guilty as charged. Um, but ours look a little bit more stylish, of course. But one of the old tropes is doing it in black, uh, having some blue backlight, or, you know, as we'll see in one of the clips, one of them is actually shot very interestingly, where it's sort of real close-ups, it's on um, Dutch tilts, uh, that's when they tilt the camera. Um, so there, a few people have tried different approaches here, but yes, there are some stock in trade ways people shoot true crime, that's for sure. It's interesting, thank you. <laughs> Always a pleasure to bring some television knowledge, that's where I excel. <laughs> Alright, let's move on because the interview begins asking Shawcross about his second adult victim, Anne-Marie Steffen. Uh, I met Anne-Marie Steffen, I think in front of the Finger Hut on Lake Avenue. Do you remember killing her? Yeah, possibly. We're not going into details here. No, but how did you kill her? Probably strangulation. How do you know when they're dead? How? I don't know, just do. More 
guess after they just relax, the body relax, doesn't fight no more. It only takes about four minutes, probably. It's interesting, this interviewer knows the case, but Shawcross isn't really saying anything too specific here, is he? No, he's not. And um, and this is what sometimes happens, that they like to do the, you know, I'm going to make you work for the answers that you actually want. And really, if you were coming at this case and this is the first moment that you've seen of Shawcross, and for 90% of people, this is the only thing they've seen of Shawcross because this is a very popular doco that we're actually looking at. You know, but Shawcross was my first killer. So... Um, I know that that actually speaks volumes compared to what most people would actually expect. So, um, you know, this, this don't know, you know, and it's it's like when we say allegedly, you know, so <laughs> he's, playing, he's playing that a bit and, um, you know, but he's wary, but we can see that smile. We know that he's excited by this limelight. This is a later interview, as I said, because he did have a stroke and so there are that there's that constant blinking, which I've seen over the internet, everyone's saying, oh, my God, look how much he blinks. He's guilty. You know, yes, he is guilty, but the blinking has nothing to do with it because that's mm. a neurological disorder. You know, but he's he's just sort of having some fun there. And, um, you know, it's just he's, oh, I'm not going to go into detail, but then, oh, I probably strangled her and I might have done this and, you know, oh, you know, and stuff like that. It's just interesting that he's really, really saying nothing, but I know that that's saying a lot because um, he's 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 playing a hard ball to start the game. Now, you said to me he was your first killer. What do you mean by that? <laughs> Uh, it's, it's an odd thing to say, um, but when I first decided to uh, converse with serial killers and everything way back in my um, criminology degree of a thousand years ago, um, he was the first one that actually responded to me. So ah. it was a interesting place to begin. And when we see what happens here, we're actually going to see how... Um, how he likes to manipulate things you know i've got letters here and like he, he says stuff like um uh, uh what did i say your letters take front row no matter what came in i get to you right away so, you know it's things like that that no, uh, it's a flirt his ways of manipulating yeah oh absolutely there's um there's perfume and aftershave on all of his letters until i told him please don't because i do have a massive allergy to perfume um and did he, he stop he, when you asked him to with the perfume Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. So um, he is a killer who wanted to play a game and he... As, as you said, he was flirting, but at the same time, he says, you know, I want to be your surrogate grandfather. You know, I think that I could teach you the ways of the world. I mean, I was 20... 20. Um, oh, my goodness, I've been doing this for way too long. Um, <laughs> I just realised how, how young I was. Um, you know, and, and he would sort of say to me all these things that uh, would help me interview other killers in, in, in the time to come. So it's quite interesting. But, I mean, a lot of the, the stuff I have is in the museum. So please come to the museum, guys, and you'll get to see a lot of... So, Amanda, we've seen you holding something off camera. Can you just show us the letters so we can just see what you're talking about? <laughs> right. Um, well, here's a, here's a pile of them. So right. um, that's just a, a couple there. As I said, there is a lot more that are actually uh, on display in the museum. So 
that is something that you should all come and do so you can read these and uh, see how wonderful and weird he is. Uh, he did a recipe that included a couple of pounds of um, my rump, uh, <laughs> and which I've got, I've got plenty. He could have taken a couple of pounds and I'd have plenty more left over. But it's He's so serious. Hang on. I want to get this straight. He sent you a letter that had a recipe that included a couple of pounds of your rump. Yes. Literally, they're the words used. So, uh, yeah. Um, wow. He also uh, sent me a lot of poetry, a lot of artwork uh, and things like that. And um, it's just interesting what some of them send you. So uh, it's we, we usually don't do the killers I know personally, so it's quite interesting now. We to should do more of them. I like this insight. <laughs> oh, I've got... I've got shelves of the stuff so um we have a lot more but yeah art art was um a good person to start with because he showed me how they manipulate and how they do this flirting and how he wanted to also be a grandfather figure to me i didn't say will you be my grandpa i mean it's just this is, <laughs> this is the fantasy that they have and yeah. and you know they like to do things like he, he wrote i'm a smart ass uh poem about being a serial killer as in you know breakfast cereal so you know he would he would just play that game right you sort of can't take most of it seriously but at the same time it's like okay so where are we going with this so it's about reading it all reading between the lines and Mm. so when we see an interview like this where he's not sort of uh, being concise it's because he's playing the game and yeah he was a good one to be my first yeah, definitely. Well, let's go back to this interview, which was on a, a a documentary called Interview with a Serial Killer, Arthur Shawcross. He's asked about his third adult victim, Dorothy Keeler. She used to live in my house, in my apartment, for a while. Was she a friend? She was, until she started stealing stuff out of the house. I asked her, why are you stealing? She said, you your money. And I said, you have a bank account. I was paying her $4.25 an hour just to clean the apartment. So she was thieving from you? She was taken from me and my wife Rose. Does that warrant killing her? Huh? Does that warrant killing her? Well, to me it did. Interesting there. He started cold but actually did warm up and start answering. Yeah, he did. And um, we can see there that he's really detail-oriented. You know, $4.52 mm. I was paying her. You know, I know that she had a bank account. But he's basically saying because she was uh, stealing things from him, that that's justifiable homicide. You know, he, he he's not... He's like, he says it so much. We can all understand that. that. It makes us realise. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but like, um, it's it's just part of his gaslighting. So he's he's just sort of playing really? the game. You know, he's, you, you he don't think that actually could have been his motivation to kill her? It came from he's just gaslighting the interview and complete saying bullshit. Absolutely, absolutely. Because huh. he is a, a sexual predator. He killed her because he wanted to rape and murder her. It's not because of the robbery. It's not because she she took, you know, the $10 that was on top of the fridge. This is because she was an opportunistic victim that he had uh, great access to and was able to take her and rape her and kill her. And so this stuff about bank accounts and stuff like that is just sort of to make it seem more interesting rather than him saying it was a Tuesday afternoon and I decided I need a victim and she's it. 
So, right. you know, it's just, it's just, he's, you know, he's more about that he wanted to have this, um, uh, non-consexual sex with this person and you know the four dollars 52 it's just yeah it's gaslighting he's just he's just playing the game okay all right well next he described the murder of june stott that was a fit of anger you know we spent a day down turning point park you know feeding the ducks and walking around and we're making out and then she just flipped you know, jumped up, says, I'm going to scream, scream, I'm going to tell the cops. Hey, I snapped her, snapped her neck. Stayed there all day until dark. Then, uh, split her open from her neck to her groin. I didn't go all the way deep into that stomach area, just split her open. I don't know why. <laughs> Wowzers, it's just so matter-of-fact, isn't it? It is, and this is the weird part I find, is that these killers have such rich imaginary lives, you know, that that, that becomes reality with, with these killings, but they don't talk about it in, in a richly diverse way. It is so matter-of-fact, you know, I just snapped a neck, I cut her in half, I split her in half. You know, it's just all of these very um, non-detailed terms that they use. You know, it's it's not like, you know, oh, and then I had my hand here and my arm here and she said this and then I said this and then we moved here and we did this. It's just, you know, I got angry and I snapped her neck. So, you know, but... As we can see, he's now said, um, you know, she she got done uh, because she snapped. Uh, you know, Dorothy got done because she was stealing. So, you know, he's he's blaming the victims for for their outcomes. You know, rather than he's doing this as a sexual predator. Now, let me ask you this: um, Did he sexually assault these women? <laughs> Um, I shouldn't be smiling, I'm sorry, but why I'm smiling is because of the depravity of his sexual assault. So uh, there was sexual assault before uh, and during the act of killing, um, but he also uh, returned to some of these victims days, weeks, months later and actually like performed oral sex on their decomposing corpses and oh. would go and masturbate on them. So, yeah, so uh, the sexual abuse of, of the women and then their corpses uh, was quite extensive, and he even sort of went in, into detail of how he ate one woman's vagina. So um, it's, it's yeah, so the sexual abuse... Interestingly, though, in these interviews, he doesn't go into that detail. This is his public face, his public persona. So... There's obviously two sides. This guy wants to be seen in a certain light in these interviews, but doesn't want to show the true depravity, which is why I guess he's being very general with his answers. Yeah, of course. And, and you know, like when I was on Studio 10 with you and everything, they would always come and remind me, don't forget, this is like a G-rated show, a PG-rated show, mm. so please don't go into those details. So, I mean, this would have been for a general consumption, and I think documentaries are 
don't have ratings anyway. But yeah, it, no, they it don't. has to be the PG rated version. So, you know, he can't go into all of that. But at the same time, he doesn't want to be hated. A lot of serial killers have a fear of being hated. And that's why they're so charming and loving and, you know, talking on the phone and everything. They, they, there's sweetness and light. Because regardless, they have that same natural instinct that most of us have is that we want to be liked. And yes. so he will say, I snapped her neck. Not that, you know, I choked her for 10 minutes while she screamed for help. You know, they don't do that. So it's easier to just sort of gloss over the stuff that we want but completely ignore the horrific stuff that, you know, they probably don't want to talk about anyway. I mean, most people don't talk about their sexual fantasies and this is a sexual fantasy that becomes a reality. Yes. You know, it's not like you sit around and do that, you know. Like, I don't say to you, gee, I... I I have a toe fetish, you know. I don't, but you know, it's it's just it's just something. I'm glad you finally you know, come that. out of the closet about that, Amanda. First <laughs> <laughs> um, thing I thought of. <laughs> it's it is interesting though, because he has his infamy from these horrific acts, but there's still a cap on honesty when it comes to the sexualization, And I think it's exactly for what you say that, you know, especially before these current generations who have no boundaries whatsoever, in our generation there were boundaries about what you admitted to as far as your sexual desires and, and, and fetishes and things like that. Yeah, exactly. And so that's why, you know, a lot of that detail is left out. It's only if you go and dig through court transcripts and things like that that you actually find this extra detail because they do need to go into the injuries that that the victims had had uh, inflicted on them and things like that. So, you know, he may have never confessed to that because we mm. don't have his interrogation, unfortunately, but um, we do know that he did confess. But uh, there is a lot of stuff that they won't say, especially on things like a doco because they, they want to be famous. They don't want to be infamous as such. So, you yes. know, they want to be, uh, you know, people are interested and fascinated with who I am, not you're a monster. Yeah, absolutely. Well, not surprisingly, the interviewer goes to ask about another murder, that of June Cicero, his 11th adult victim. Strangled Mostly my left hand. So you strangle them with just one hand? Right, right there. Pressure point. He loves a bit of show and tell there, doesn't he? He does, and it's amazing that he says, with my left hand. It's like saying, you know, oh, I, I did this one arm tied behind my back. You know, it, this mm. is about boasting. So, you know, I, it only takes one, one sort of... Um, yeah, hand. So, um, but interesting, a lot of killers, when they send letters to me, they actually um, draw their hand. Now, I don't have one of those letters here because it is packed away for the museum, but he has massive hands, and a lot of these serial killers do. And so they know that that's their weapon. They know that they're able to use that to their advantage. And it's interesting that most of them have this tactile response to needing to talk about and use their hands or draw them or, you know, out outline them and things like that. But what we have here also is that this is part of his bloodlust. Yes, we are talking about a chokehold and, you know, like 
getting the victim in, in, in the front of the throat. But what we also see, as I said, this is a bloodlust and it's like a Ted Bundy. It's about that com compulsion to go and, and do it better. So, you know, the first time he, he choked it with two hands, second, well, the 11th victim now, he can only do it with one hand because it's so easy to do. So, you know, it's, it's boastful and morbid and repulsive, but he's using it like it's it, this is him pushing those boundaries of the censorship you know that it only takes one hand so you know on on movies we see them you know they've got them in chokeholds and everything and they do tap out quite quite quickly but you know it's just interesting so 19 months he killed 12 women so th this is basically wow. a spree i mean it's a, a it's an extended spree but it's a spree nonetheless and you know this is like Bundy, this is like um, Ivan, uh, these people that sort of kill in a frenzy but not so so short that, that it's a mass murder. And, and look, for those listening on the audio podcast, I'll just point out the, the conversation we just had here came from him pointing to a specific part on his neck when he was describing how he killed her. Let's move on because he then describes how he dumped her body. It was snowing real bad one night and I went out route 19 I think it was and I crossed over on 31 headed back toward the city and there was no cars coming and I just opened the door and pushed her out she went over the bridge over to knock some snow down went down in the water and he just closed the door and kept going just like tossing out the garbage. It absolutely is, you know, and there is absolutely no emotion from him at all with that. You know, it's, oh, you know, and she rolled down the hill. You know, just just think how a, a normal person would, would describe that, you know. Uh, I pulled over, you know, we were outside town, um, you know, I made sure there was no one around, you know, I turned off my traffic lights, um, my, my headlights, I opened the car door, you know, I pulled her out, I rolled her down the hill. But he just says it in just a few words. And and it's just amazing. There's no excitement. There's no skill. It's just a push, watch her roll down, and, and she's gone. You know, it is like just throwing out the garbage, and it's horrifying that it's just that carefree. Is it, though? Is it the way he's saying that on this documentary and in an interview? Because, let's be honest, from what you've told me about these killers, we know that at night... He's jerking off thinking about these kills. He must know every detail of every victim that went through. He's just not sharing that with us, right? Yeah, 100%. He knows exactly. He knows the, the, the blade of grass he parked next to. He knows about the blue sedan that drove past that he knows the number plate started with S. He knows that it was 4.03pm. He knows that it was raining cold hot. He knows every single minute detail of that. You know, and that, that they try and pretend that they don't remember it. I mean, looking back at BTK, he, he would forget their names or and, <laughs> and you know, where where they were. But Although the in that one, I feel names through. weren't important to him. It was about what he did to those bodies. They, they, he dehumanised them in a way. But that's a different yeah, thing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But you know, they, what they tell us and what they know is two very, very different things. And so that's why we just sort of have to take what they say and just sort of read between those lines because he knows exactly what happens. So this don't know um, is is it's just him playing hardball.
OK, well, then he describes several more murders. Some of the bodies had bruising. That depends where I dragged them. I didn't pick them up. I only picked up one and deposited her about maybe 400 feet from the road. But the other ones I just dragged by the hair back into the brush wherever I left them. I had one girl tell me why I was starting to strangle her. She says, I know who you are. At that moment, I didn't care no more, and I just put her out. One girl, she bit me, you know, and asked, why'd you bite me? Because I wanted to, you know, and I smacked her around a little bit, you know, and she smiles, you know, like she enjoyed it. You know, and I had to get out of the car, and I grabbed the snow and, and wiped myself off where she bit and broke the skin. And I get back in the car, and I'm still talking. Why'd you bite me? Right, and that elevated. It just kept getting higher and higher, and then that sensation where I started sweating and the starlight of the area, I just lost control at that moment and choked him to death. I was wounded in Vietnam on the left hand, little wrist. They told me as I got older, I would lose the strength in my left arm. And I built my left arm up where I'm stronger in my left side than I am on my right side. Now, it's difficult to strangle somebody quickly. It can't be done. Now, you may see people on TV and the movies and stuff where they're strangling somebody and less than 10 seconds later, they drop and fall on the floor. It can't be done like that. Now, usually the human body can hold a breath maybe four minutes, sometimes four and a half, five minutes, but I can't really tell how long I squeezed them. I'd say anywhere from four to 10 minutes that they actually, you know, succumbed. Okay, before I ask you a question, I just want to point out that is from a series called Serial Killers that in Australia is available on Amazon Prime Video. I'm not sure if it's on the same platform in other parts of the world. But Amanda, so much to unpack there. There's a lot of narcissism, but even the, the line that really stood out for me was when he claimed she was enjoying it. Yeah, so uh, it's a lovely fantasy that he's got there, mm. you know, but it is all about him, you know. So by him saying, oh, I smacked her around and, and Chechi was smiling, that negates him harming her. So by... So, yeah, so it's 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 a, a bit um, strange how they actually like to do th things like this. So it, it becomes victim-blaming more, you know. Mm. She was angry. She was stealing. This one bit me, so I smacked her around, you know. And he's he's disgusted that he was injured, you know, that, that you know, you bit me and so I have a bite mark. So I'm, I'm, I'm just going to punch you in the face multiple times, you know. He, but he, he also asks, he why did you bite me? Well, why do you think, mate? You're attacking me. You're abusing me. You're trying to kill me. Yeah, I'd be biting too. 
Yeah, and you know, like like you said, one victim says, "I know who you are," because people like women were disappearing. All these sex workers were disappearing, and so um, they started to realise that one of their Johns is actually the killer because uh, the police were actually out and interviewing a lot of of these women purely because um, so many were disappearing. Mm. So it is good that they were actually looking and considering that he killed uh, 12 women in, in, in 19 months, we're very lucky that they did capture him so quickly because being sex workers, we know that they are often seen as invisible victims. So, um, you know, had they not investigated this as, as well as they did, he could have done this for years and years and years and, you know, it could have been 30, 40, 50 victims. So, you know, it is good to see that um, the Rochester police actually jumped on this case real quick. And he almost got caught earlier. Let's have a listen to him talking about that. As I was driving to Spenceport, the helicopter was flying above me. It didn't dawn on me what was going on. But the body of June Cicero was found very close to where you were on the bridge. Yeah, that was just down the road away. I didn't register what was going on. I forgot she was there. All right, before I bring you in, Amanda, you've already <laughs> already picked up on something here because here is a lot of proof of what you say. I always take them at face value. You've always got your cynical hat on because in another documentary, he describes that same scenario in a very different way. I wanted things to stop what was going on. I just didn't want it no more. I purposely drove to an area where I knew they were searching for a person. I gave up. I wanted it to stop. I drew attention to myself by pulling over the side of the road and urinating in a Pepsi-Cola plastic bottle. They flew over me at that moment in a helicopter. And when they went past where my car was, the front of my car was pointed at an area where there was a body. I was letting them know where it was. Not technically stating verbally where it was, I was letting them know it was there. Okay, which one's the truth? Probably neither. Oh, okay. So, you know, it's it, it'd be a bit from column A, a bit from column B, but uh, column C has a lot more detail. You know, it's just another part of, of the story. So it depends on how he wants to come across. So if he wants to be uh, the accidental villain who um, just happened to be uh, peeing on the side of the road and the, and the choppers went overhead and it just happened to be that he was there, so he's actually a victim because they're, they're not his, his victims, you know, or is it that he was the hero who decided that he wanted to stop and so right. he is going to lead them there surreptitiously so then they know, you know, I'm pointing at them but I'm not really pointing at them but, you know, it was done on on my terms, you know, but he wants to be in, in control so it depends on which way he wants to believe it. But, yeah, <laughs> the, um, the choppers went overhead, someone was driving past, they knew that the killer was actually returning to the scenes because they'd found, you know, 
know, bite marks and chewed off bits that um, they knew to watch where these victims are being dumped and including this one because they knew that she was there. They hoped that the killer would return and he did. So they were able to get him. So, um, you know, but the fact that he says, you know, I I told them where, where to find her because I pulled over and, and I knew I had to do it. You know, it's just it's just more of his flights of fancy. That's right. what it really is. Okay. All right. Well, let's see how he acted in his police interview. It's just a funny feeling. Okay, it's not much of a clip, but it definitely is different. It is, um, and and to, and for those that um, are obviously on the audio podcast, um, he's actually sitting back. Um, yeah, sorry, he's he's not sitting back in comfy lot like he's in these other docos that we're watching. He's sitting hunched over. He's he's sort of squashed into a, a smaller position uh, because he's not the dominant person in the room. The police officer sitting opposite him is leaning forwards towards him, so he's sort of you know just oh I'm I'm meek and mild. I'm not. Going going to sort of say boo and, you know, I'm not really sure what I'm going to say. Now, mm. interestingly, though, the police basically had no proof it was him. And one really? of the officers in one of these, yeah, one of the officers in one of these docos said, we thought he was going to lawyer up. And if he did, we had no case. We would have had to walk away and he may have killed for decades to, still to go. So wow. the fact he didn't lawyer up and I have friends, guys, in, in the Monsters Who Murder podcast groups a few of you have said you know that you're serving officers and you wish i didn't say don't talk to them <laughs> but i'm not going to stop saying maybe the actual killers aren't listening to this this is not a how-to <laughs> monsters who murder serial killer confessions is not a how-to people because everyone we profile has been caught Exactly, and they don't lawyer up, and it's just amazing because I thought, yeah, they really didn't have any evidence. It's just that he happened to be at the crime scene at the last victim. But, yeah, they really thought when he was taken in, they thought this is a guy who's not going to talk. And, yeah, they thought he was going to say, I want a lawyer. But as we see, he didn't lawyer up. He's in, well, he was in prison for life. I think people think they look guilty if they lawyer up. And if you are guilty, maybe you think, if I'm not lawyering up, they won't think I'm guilty. Who knows the psychology that goes into that? But, look, let's go back to that original serial killer doco we've been looking at because he is asked about his confession. And I just get in a big knot in my chest. And I said, yeah, think to myself, it's, it's over with. After I made it to the 11, it was like a big weight fell off. Uh, so a weight has been lifted. He's glad. He feels better. Yeah, you know, that's a whole lot to get off off your chest and feel better. You know, he's he's saying it um, that he claims that uh, all of this was a, a reaction to his own childhood and uh, he had PST, uh, PTSD, he had um, child sexual abuse, you know, and right. that he blamed that he had a female um, personality that would take over and wanted to kill sex workers. He has all of these different stories and that basically by killing 
killing these victims. It, it was sort of uh, cleansing him. And so uh, when he was finally caught, because he stepped up and was was allowing himself to be captured, that um, all of this would sort of go away and, you know, a, a weight has been lifted. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know. Do, he, do you think that could actually these... be a thing where he's doing it, living the fear of being caught and just knowing it's going to happen eventually and just thinking, I, I just can't deal with it anymore. Do you think he actually could be a thing where a serial killer wants to be caught? Absolutely. But um, in saying that, he's, he, you know, he's saying that this is a weight lifted off, off his shoulders, off his chest, wherever. But then why do you go and do all of these other things to sort of prove that you can't be held responsible for your crimes? So the fact that he has a female identity that's doing it, the fact that he, he tried to do not guilty by reason of insanity, the fact that he was a child sex um, abuse victim. He tried very hard then to actually have the confession taken away and that it was coerced and all of this sort of stuff, you know, um, rather sure, than... Sure, because then there's the reality of going to jail. You know, we saw that with Der Dennis Nielsen uh, when he confessed to everything and then was blaming it on, you know, being mentally ill and wanting to know why he was this killer. Yeah, so I don't think it's... I think there's two... I think two things can be true at once, that he did want the cat and mouse game with the police to end, but then also didn't want to go to jail. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, it, it, it is a fight to to the death, basically, with a lot of these cases, because he uh, he was going away for life. I don't think death penalty was on the table with this case. Um I'm positive, actually. Um, but it's interesting that they will fight for their own survival when we know that there has been others that mm. have fought for their survival against him and lost. So, yeah. you know... It, Good just, point. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, he was also asked why he killed. And in this clip, his story is one of the more profane fantasies. When I picked those women up, I thought I had age. Because one of the women who stopped in the car told me one of the women I took out has HIV positive. I didn't know which one of them were, so I went back and picked up all the ones I dated in two streets in Rochester, and I started killing them. And while I was doing it, I took the vagina of three and hate it. Why? I don't know. Probably to speed up the, the idea of... Uh, the AIDS disease. So you thought it might kill you quicker? Probably. It's just not a lot of people that I've ever spoken to have eaten human flesh. They read your raw steak. They read your steaks, you got the fat on the end of it. Yeah. Similar. I mean, when you were hauled in by the police, did you make any mention of the HIV? No, sir, I did not. I suppose it's because some people might say, well, isn't that just an excuse to justify killing? You believe what you want to believe. I told you how I killed, why I killed. You don't want to believe it? That's up to you. That's an interesting end to that when he's confronted by the interviewer, how he gets aggressive in his defence. 
Yeah, it is because um, they expect everyone to believe what they say. So he is expecting you to go, oh, okay, yep, thanks, Art. You know, that's a great answer. Let's move on. So it's interesting that when the interviewer actually challenges him, it actually takes him aback a bit. So he's mm. saying, well, believe it or, or, or not. He's, there was um, a physical change in his yeah, yeah. reaction to the interviewer. And this is where things change. I mean, I know that we're seeing this cut up and, and, and we're doing it in a different time frame, but it would be interesting to see where that response happens because I know, and you guys will see soon, that he is going to get more and more agitated with this interviewer. So, um, Which is the way you that... do interviews. You start off not overly challenging because you want to get enough out of them, always thinking that when I go too hard they may leave or clam up. So you do go softly, softly, and you ramp up over the course of the interview to the point where you're, you really challenge them. So that's possibly what this interviewer was doing here. It is. He, he wants to poke the bear because he wants to see these responses. This is what gets views. This is why this interview has been around for 15 years is because everyone wants to see it because this is a serial killer not being charming. This is a serial killer who's sort of starting to back up a bit mm. and um, he, he he's losing that, um, that higher ground that he, he thought he had. Now, let me ask you about his claims that he believes someone gave him AIDS, so he ate three vaginas to speed it up. I mean, is there any validity to this? Was there a possibility of HIV? Did any of his victims have HIV? Um, not as far as I'm aware. There, uh, he, he didn't have AIDS, he didn't have HIV. So um, the fact that he's now using that as an excuse, it just shows that he has um, excuse after excuse, uh, reasons, explanations for all of this happening. Um, you know, it's, it sounds crazy, especially when we're sort of compounding it like we are. But, um, you know, there is a likelihood that he may have feared that he, he did have a sexually transmitted illness because um, there are other killers that did that, like Richard Chase, who, who believed that um, he had to kill to sort of stop his blood from drying up, and, and another killer, oh. Um, oh, I can't okay. think of his name, who, who, who had to uh, kill people to stop um, there being earthquakes in California. So, I mean, <laughs> there's all these different rhymes Jesus. and reasons that they come up with. Oh, we've got so many killers to do, Robert. You're, you're not going to believe some of these reasons okay. but yeah he, he has we should a do a top 10 list to the top 10 craziest reasons to kill that sounds like a good special oh, easy easy <laughs> <laughs> um look let's go it's interesting he has been very open about talking about the murders of adults but when we go back to the 1972 child victims he murdered in watertown he goes into a very different mode and we see a different side to the killer when he's asked about those murders. What did you do to young Karen Hill? I ain't saying. I told you I wouldn't talk about that. I wasn't talking about anything that happened in Watertown. Why not? Because I make that... I'm not talking about anybody in Watertown. You can either take it or leave it. Short clip, very interesting things. We can see anger on his face. It's interesting he doesn't mention the victims. He refers to it as Watertown. 
Why won't he talk about this? Is this a case of embarrassment? He is actually regretful of what he did? Good question. It's it's. Um, well, I'm full of it's them. It's interesting because <laughs> because um, he went to jail for those two killings, and then he was released, and he continued to kill after his release. So, if he felt remorse for them, would he have thought in those 14 years he was incarcerated? Would he have thought that to be remorseful, you don't go and kill within 11 months of, of being released? Yeah, but he never so killed kids again. That. So maybe there no, is some no, kind absolutely. of remorse and he made a moral judgment. Now, we have a moral judgment where we say we do not kill. But in the morals of someone like this, a depraved mind, his morals possibly, and you're the expert here, you're the serial killer whisperer, so tell me if um, Judge Rob is on the right path here. But to me, they all have a moral compass. And we've seen that. There are things some serial yep. killers won't do. Do you think it's possible he made a moral judgment that I will never take the life of a kid again? Um, I think it's more about self-preservation. He doesn't want people to know about that. So he's sort of put that into a box and packed it away. He's happy to be a killer of sex workers, but he doesn't, as you say, he doesn't want to have the horrible awfulness of, of being a child killer, as you say, because, um, you know, there is a hierarchy in prison and child killers and child sex killers in, in particular right down the bottom of, of that list. So um, And prison justice will often get them. But yeah. let me ask you this, by killing sex workers, moral compass again, that's justifiable in his mind because they're breaking the law, especially at those times that we're talking about here, and the idea that these are low lives of society, they can be killed when he's realised children cannot be. I don't know. I, I, I just feel that the way he's reacting to me, and, and I'm not a criminologist like you, I, I'm not into the body language like you, but from my point of view and everything you've taught me over this series is that I feel like he personally is drawing a line in the sand about his own right and wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the fact that he's actually saying that through a smile, we can see the anger. We can see mm. how um, angry he is, but he's smiling. It's like, don't ask me about that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that gritted teeth smile um, because he obviously laid that down as a caveat before they started the yes. interview saying, don't ask me about the child murders. You know, and sometimes it's because, you know, he was caught so quickly um, after, after Karen's body was found that um, they could see everything that he had done, whereas some of the sex workers, there, there is no evidence because they had decayed and everything, mm. you know. And he was happy to literally say, I ate three vaginas, you know, but yeah. don't ask that, me. Exactly, that that's my point. And the, yeah, yeah. And, and, and the boy victim was um, abused far more than the girl victim. So um, there that's is interesting. often... A, yeah, often there's times when a killer chooses uh, children as victims. It's because the killer themselves has arrested development. So they, they actually um, a, 
align themselves with children as a equal, as a peer, rather than um, as a smaller person victim. So there is that that comes into it as well. And then, yeah, as because then he, he gets out of prison at 45 or, or something like very much an adult and so he's then taking adult victims because that arrested development has sort of um caught up to him and he's now an adult so he kills adult victims so it is something that um yeah he 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 doesn't want to be aligned with that because he is embarrassed he is horrified that he did that and Mm. that could be a show of, of remorse that he never chose another child victim or it could be because talking about those may open up something that he doesn't want to go down that yeah it's just it's beyond them being child victims but something in him that he doesn't want to relive though mm. i know that he he relived it every day very very interesting in our next episode we're going to hear something we rarely hear being asked of a killer just wait until you see this scene between the interviewer and arthur shawcross We'll also look at the allegations he was abused by his mother and see what happened when he was hypnotised and sat with a psychiatrist. There's plenty more to come in this fascinating profile of Arthur Shawcross. Amanda, I there's a lot here and there's still a lot to unpack, isn't there? There is so much more to come because we have to go through his Vietnam history as well. So, um, yeah, the surface has been scratched, but we have a lot more to go. Indeed. but and, and, Amanda, you have the museum coming up, which you can get tickets by going to Sticky Tickets and searching Amanda Howard or go to the Facebook group, and you will be showing Arthur Shawcross's uh, letters to you. What else is at the museum? Well, there's uh, some artwork from Arthur as well. Um, lots of bits and pieces from other serial killers, some bits from the Menendez case, which we've had a bit of a heated discussion in one of the groups this week. Oh. Um, I have things on uh, Charles Lindbergh and the kidnapping. I have a huge section on JFK. A huge Are you taking section. the J- JFK photo? That was one of the most amazing things I've seen, the photo you have of the assassination of JFK. Yep, I've got all of that. So there's that and more. So uh, if you come to the museum before, you'll see a lot of the same things because obviously you don't sort of throw them out, but there's a lot of new stuff too. And 2am this morning, I was buying more products for the, for the museum. So um, there is a lot more to see and, you know, come and have a look. Take your time, And you can talk the to letters. the serial killer whisperer, for God's sake. Yeah, well, that's true. I'll be there too. I'll be the one running around like a mad woman, sort of uh, feeling like people are going through my underwear drawer. It's very, very <laughs> revealing. Yeah, you have you to pay have extra for that. And- <laughs> yeah, it's just so odd because it's like people are looking at my stuff. You know, it's like at a garage sale and you just feel weird that people mm. are judging you. But um, anyway, I still love showing it. So Well, that's happening at Parramatta Jail on what date, Amanda? June 19th, so it's uh, like from 2pm till midnight, so we're doing like an afternoon and night thing, so it's very scary, um, and you'll be able to be in, in the ambience of the um, of the jail, so it's going to be quite amazing. Oh, fantastic. We look forward to that. As I said, get your tickets through Sticky Tickets by searching Amanda Howard, and make sure you get your photo with John Wayne Gacy, the killer clown. That is this edition of Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. Don't forget, the video cast happens 
earlier than the free audio feed. It uploads to mwm.uscreen.io every week, a week earlier than the audio feed. So make sure you go and subscribe to mwm.uscreen.io. Amanda, thank you very much. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 